If you have your Bibles, turn to Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Four, uh, chapter 4, verse 6. We're going we're gonna, to um, read this and come back to this passage later. We'll read, also read other passages, but I want, to, uh, I want you to really just kind of keep your finger there. Um, if you have your app here on your phone, you can just click there. I want to, before we get going, pray and come against the spirit of fear. How many of you know that fear is not just a feeling? It's a spirit. It's a person. It's actually a being. We just don't fight a feeling. We fight a person. When we, over, when we conquer the person, we conquer the feeling. So we're going to come against that spirit of fear, and we're going to ask for the Lord to speak this morning. So let's just join in with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just come to you in Jesus' name, asking for your will to be done. Father, we don't want to be a people of fear. We want to be a people of faith. We don't want to respond to what's happening around us. Father, we want, to be, we, li- we want to live a response to what you're saying to our heart. So, Father, we give you our heart this morning, and we ask that you would speak to us. If there's any sin that, that is in us, Father, we pray that you would reveal it to us during this message. God, we want to confess any sin that is hindering us, Father, from coming into a closer relationship with you. Father, we pray that you would help us to model what it looks like to walk in faith for our families, for our friends, for our coworkers who are losing their minds over what's going on in our world today. Father, help us to be the light this way, to be your hands, to be your feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of today's message is Overcoming Fear. Keep your finger at Philippians 4, verse 6. I want to read Isaiah 43, verse 1. It says, But now, thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. How many of you have heard that, that phrase in the Bible, fear not? The Bible commands this over and over and over again in the, his word to fear not. In this, pa- in, the, in this first verse, he tells us why. Look at the beginning. Thus says the Lord, he who created you, he who formed you. Did you know you belong to somebody? You were not just created in heaven one day placed on this earth and abandoned. One of the reasons we don't fear is because we belong to somebody. You don't belong to yourself. You don't just belong. You don't, you're not just, you don't have to worry about yourself. There is somebody who is watching over you, and he doesn't worry, but if we want to put it that way, there is somebody who is worrying about you, worrying over you, taking care of you. That is Jesus. That's why he can say, don't fear. You have someone in heaven who has formed you. Look at verse 2. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. How many of y'all have been through situations that just seem they're go- it's going to overwhelm you? He says, when you're going through those times, he's saying those times are going to come. When you go through those times, he says, remember, I'm going to be with you. It's not going to overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. I think it's amazing that it doesn't matter how long you live for the Lord, how long you've been living from, whether it's a few weeks, few years, or 20 years, if you do not allow yourself to be washed with the word and be reminded of this truth, you will fall into fear. Can I get an amen? There's any believers who have lived for the Lord a long time and all of a sudden you allow your mind to go places and you're, you're fearing the same way like you did when you first came to know the Lord. It's amazing. It's something that we have to deal with every day. Now look at Philippians 4 verse 6. It says, do not be anxious or fearful about anything. I want to define anxious real quick. I don't know if we have it on the screen, but this is the first definition. Anxious. Experiencing worry, unease, 
or nervousness, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. How many of you all can say we're living in that definition right now? Some of us are experiencing worry, nervousness about something with an uncertain outcome. Uh, the second definition, one is something very much typically with a feeling of unease. How many of us want everything to go back to normal? How many of us want the schools to open the school, the school doors this week, right? How many of y'all, that's putting y'all in a bind? This is something that fear does. It puts us in situations that, that we, have to, we have to adjust our life a little bit. It says, don't be anxious. Don't allow yourself to go into this space. Let's continue reading. But in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He said, instead of worrying and being anxious, give everything to the Lord. Now, we're going to come back to this at the end of the sermon. If there's one thing, church, that keeps us from trusting God and living out God's plan for our life, it's fear. If there's one thing, this is it. It's keeping us from sending our kids to school. It's keeping us from traveling the way we want. It's keeping us from doing everything. If there's one thing that keeps us from living out God's plan for our life, it's fear. This is why God commands us time and time again in his word to don't fear. And, and whenever God told Joshua to go into, um, into the promised land, he says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. He says, Don't fear. I'm with you wherever you go. When I was a kid, I, um, my dad got sick, and I've said this many times, my family just doesn't get sick, and I really credit that to the Lord. I don't credit that necessarily to good genes or whatever, good um, genes or good family history, but I, I really believe that God has blessed us with good health, but I remember one time my dad was admitted into the hospital. I think that was the last time he was admitted to the hospital. It was probably like, like 20 years ago. I was like eight, nine years old. And that was just a weird thing for a, a young kid to experience, his dad in the hospital, especially when he never gets sick. And I remember, I, didn't, I don't know, I don't even remember what happened to him, but he was in the hospital and I saw him and this worry just began to, to rise up in me. And I remember telling the nurse, I said, hey, I don't feel good either. And I remember, I remember her looking at me and saying, no, you're okay, you're okay. <laughs> but the truth was, I wasn't Okay. I was worried about my dad. He was in a, in a hospital. I had seen movies and shows about people being in hospitals and not coming out of them. And so I was worried and I was fearful. Well, the next day, I had a soccer tournament. I believe it was in San Angelo. Well, I worried so much that I actually did get sick. And I wasn't able to play in that tournament the next day. I remember my dad, I guess my dad got out because he was coaching and, and he went. But I wasn't able to play because I had worried myself sick. Fear stopped my plans for playing in that tournament. It literally stopped me. It made me worry so much and fear so much that I made myself sick so I couldn't do the things that I wanted to do. Fear every time. If you live in fear, it will cause you to not live out God's plan for your life. Every time. It stops it. This is why God tells us not to live in fear. Now, I want to look at a story in the Bible uh, 1 Samuel 13, if you want to turn there, you can. 1 Samuel 13, I want to look at a story in King Saul's life on how he faced fear. It's a story about how he faced fear. Now, this story that we're going to read happened two years after Saul became king. If you read, if you read in the Bible about Saul, Saul started off really well. 
uh, but after a few years, he was tested. And this was Saul's test. And, every, and if you look at, the, look at the word, everyone had different tests, but this was Saul's test. Would Saul fear God or fear people in his circumstances more? Was he going to allow the situation uh, that, he was, that, that he was facing to cause him to trust the Lord? Or was he going to bow in fear to what was happening around him and the people who were coming against him? In this story, God was dealing with the fear of man in Saul. And all of us, to some degree, fear people. This is why we do things or don't do things. There's those of us who are a little bit passive, we won't say or do things so we don't hurt somebody's feelings or get them riled up. Is that true? Right? But how about for those of us that are aggressive? We will absolutely lash out and try to control the situation for fear of what that person will say or do. You see how the fear of man works? All of us, to some degree, deal with the fear of man. There's, uh, there's a person in my family member who deals with it one way. There's another person who feel, deals with it the other way. There's one way that I deal with it. All of us, at, to some degree, deal with the fear of man because we will say or not say something depending on how much we fear what's going on in, in this situation. And so in this story, God is dealing with the fear of man in Saul's life. What's interesting is David didn't have that problem. David was not tested that way. David didn't have a fear of man. If you remember, he killed a lion, he killed a bear, and he killed a giant at a very young age. He was probably like 15 years old. He didn't fear people. David's test was, would he, after God told him he was going to become king, would he wait until God fulfilled his promise? Did you know David was anointed to be king at 15 years old? He was, Samuel came to him, anointed him to be king at 15. He said, David, you're going to be king. But it wasn't until he was 30 that he actually became king. His, another whole lifetime later. So David's test was, would he wait on God's promises and not act out of God's timing? A mentor once told me, um, when God places a mantle of leadership on people, he usually sends a series of tests. And I'll say it this way. If you've been blessed in any way this year, if, you have, if God has brought uh, any type of blessing your way, there's usually a test that accompany, accompanies it. So if God is blessing you, get ready. God is going to test you because he wants to see if he can trust you. Now, in this story, I want to give you some of the backstory. Saul had chosen 3,000 men to go and attack the Philistines. He actually had 2,000 men in his control, and he had 1,000 men in his son's control. Well, Jonathan's 1,000 men went and defeated a Philistine garrison at the town of Geba, and the rest of the Philistines heard it. So Jonathan went, defeated this little, this little garrison, this little um, uh, pocket of soldiers, and the rest of the Philistines heard about it, and this is how they responded. They put together an army of 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and the word says the troops were like the sand of the seashore. So Israel only had 3,000 men, and the Philistines had a whole uh, a seashore full of, full of um, troops. How many of y'all, that would cause fear to happen in, in, in your heart, right? Okay, this was Saul's test. Now, I'm going to say this again. God sends tests. Many of us, we find ourselves in situations and we blame a person, we blame people, we even blame the devil. The devil put me in this situation. God put me, or um, uh, so-and-so, my family member, my friend, or this person that I used to trust, they put me in this situation. But more times than not, I personally believe God places you in situations to test you. The Philistines, yes, were the enemy. Yes, they were being used probably by the devil, 
But God put Saul in the situation to test him. You know the only way that you can be set free from fear? This is the only way. Is when you, when you, fool the fool, when you feel the full weight of fear, but instead choose to fear God. And I put, and I put this on the screen. But God it puts us in situations where, the, where fear, the fear of God becomes greater than the fear that's standing in front of us. The only way you can overcome fear is for that fear to stand up with all its screaming and yelling and and its ugliness, and you say, I fear God more than I fear you. This is why God places us in situations so that our fear for him can grow above the fear that's standing in front of us. Now, 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 8. Speaking about Saul, it says, he waited seven days. The time appointed by Samuel. Now, the word doesn't say this, but apparently he reached out to Samuel, the prophet, and said, hey, Samuel, these Philistines are coming against me. You know, we we are trying to take the land the way that Joshua told us to take it, but we attacked them. Now they're coming against us. And Samuel said, hey, wait for me. I want you to wait for me. I'm going to come. I'm going to come in seven days. It doesn't say how long. It says an appointed time. I'm going to come in like six, seven days or whatever. Wait for me. It says that... um, He waited, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, where Saul was, at the appointed time, and the people were scattering from him. So this is Saul's test. He's already scared of people, and I forgot to mention this earlier. When Saul was, was, um, when he was about to be coronated king, he was so scared of everybody that he hid in the luggage. So he he was scared of people, and even though he was taller than everyone, even though he had, he was anointed to be king, he was scared of people. So this was his nightmare unfolding. There was the Philistines coming against him with all these people. And not only that, but Samuel didn't show up at the right time and his troops were deserting him. He was fooling the full weight of his fear and he had a decision to make. Was he going to wait on Samuel to inquire of the Lord or was he going to take matters into his own hands? Let's look at what he did. Verse 9. So Saul said or responded, Bring the burnt offering here to me in the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. In this story, Saul did not pass the test. He was, a, he was, a, he was um, directed to wait for Samuel to come to offer this burnt offering so that he could hear from the Lord, but he didn't. Look at verse 10. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, look, Samuel came. I just want to make this point. Did you know that God knows how much you can handle? It says, as soon as he was done offering the sacrifice, Samuel came. You know what that tells me? God knows how much you can handle, and if you will just wait a little bit, he'll show up. I really, and I I say this uh, from time to time, but I really believe there are many of us that abort God's plan in our life because we don't know how to wait. And then we say, you know, oh, God's telling me to do this. But really, it's the fear inside of us that's speaking. It's really the worry and the anxiety to take matters into our own hands. Let's keep reading. And Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
fear will always force you to do something that you don't want to do. Do you think, do you think Saul wanted to offer up that burnt offering? No, because he knew that Samuel was supposed to do it. But because he was so scared and, and was experiencing so much anxiety, he himself said, I force myself to offer the burnt offering. Fear will always force you to do something. God does not work that way. The way God works is we wait for God's peace to come and then we act. Fear, and I have plenty of stories, and I'm sure you all have plenty of stories of where fear caused you to make a decision that you really didn't want to make, but you felt you had to make it. Can I just, just get to like the point of the sermon? Don't let fear make, it to make, it to make a decision. It's never the Lord. Now, God's good. He's a redeemer. He can redeem all these things, but we will save ourselves a lot of anxiety, a lot of pain if we learn just to trust the Lord and walk by faith. Look what Samuel said. Verse 13, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Basically, Samuel said, if you had just waited and trust me, I would have established your family's name forever as the king, as the king that I've placed over Israel. But because you did not fear me, but feared the people instead, I will find somebody who has a heart after me, and I will put him instead. Who, of course, who was he talking about? He was talking about David. Because Saul couldn't trust God, God couldn't trust him. I'll say that again. Because Saul could not trust God, God could not trust him. Uh, and, and you could put yourself in that sentence. Ask yourself, how much do I trust God? In these different situations that I'm facing, how much do I trust him? The reason that God had to take Saul out from being king is because if he led in fear, he was going to lead everyone else in fear, and then everyone would eventually forsake the Lord. And I really believe that's one of the reasons why he doesn't, if we're walking in fear, he doesn't allow blessings to come along, <coughs> excuse me, because we'll not only affect ourselves, but we'll affect other people around us. And God is saying, hey, I'm going to have to wait to bless you in this area until I can trust you. You know, the ironic thing about this whole story is that Saul feared that the Philistines would take his kingdom away from him, right? That's why he burnt the, he burnt the, he did the burnt offering. That's why he, he, he did all these things, right? He feared that the Philistines would take his kingdom away. But you know what really happened? God ended up taking his kingdom away. He was fearful that a, man, that a, that a, that a nation would, but the, the ironic thing was is that God actually took it away. This is, what fear hap- this is what fear will do to us. Instead of fearing God, he feared men, and as a result, God said, hey, you don't fear me. You're not going to steward my people right. I'm going to have to take this away from you. It's one thing about, another thing about fear. Fear takes. It takes away things, takes away positions, relationships, and eventually it takes away our lives. That's why God is on a mission to conquer the fear in us. I shared earlier, fear is not just a feeling. It's a spirit. Fear is a spirit. We have to come against the spirit of fear. It's a person. We have feelings. We have these different feelings that we feel. And, and, and we can, I, Pastor Jimmy taught me something. When you, surrender, when you surrender your life to the Lord, you can always trust your feelings. But when you don't surrender your life to the Lord, you can never trust your feelings. You can say, hey, I, I really feel in my heart this is what I'm supposed to do only after you surrender to the Lord. This is what the spirit of fear wants to do. He wants to speak lies to us to get us all worked up so that we'll, we'll make a reaction out of fear. 
the Holy Spirit wants to do is speak the truth to us so that we'll respond out of faith, not out of not being forced, not because we feel like we have to do anything. We'll respond out of faith. And so it comes down to this. We, can, we live two ways, church. We can live by making faith-based decisions, or we can live by making fear-based decisions. I want you, I want you to do this exercise. I want you to just close your eyes for a second. I want you to think about that situation that you're going through right now. All of us are going through something. And I want you just to assess how you've handled that situation. I want you to ask yourself, have I been making decisions because I'm afraid? Or have I been making decisions because I feel the Lord is telling me to do this? This is a good way. This is a good way to, to answer that question. Have I felt like I've been forced to do something? If you feel like you've been forced to do something, there's a really good possibility that the spirit of fear has been working in your life. You can open your eyes. Fear is actually a prophetic spirit. Fear tells you what your life will look like if you don't do X, Y, or Z. It tells you, hey, if you don't do this, hey, if you don't save your money, hey, if you don't go to the store and buy, I don't know why we're buying uh, toilet paper, but if you don't buy toilet paper, something bad's going to happen. I don't know what. You know what's funny? It doesn't even tell you what's going to happen. Everyone else is buying toilet paper or buying whatever, and um, you have to buy it or else something bad will happen. He doesn't even tell you what's going to happen. Right? fear tells you what's going to happen hey if i don't if i don't if i don't try to get ahead in in my job and if i don't and this is this is this is happening people because they're scared of their jobs they're they're going to try to undermine other people so that they don't lose their job they're going to try to say or do things so that they can keep these things forgetting that god is our provider did y'all know that Even though we live in this physical world, physically, the Word of God says we've been born again into a new world. The the Bible says we're not not residents of this place. We're just aliens. Did you know that we don't necessarily just live in this economy? We live in God's economy. If we live in God's economy, how good is God? How merciful is God? Just look back at your personal history. How good has God been to you? Look at those moments when you've cried out to him out of, out of fear, out of pain, and say, God, I need you. Did he show up? Why do we think he won't show up again? Why are we still rea- reacting in fear? We live in God's economy, church. We live in the kingdom of God. And it doesn't matter what's happening outside of these four walls. God is in control. We have to, we have to many of us are in Saul's shoes right now. Are we going to react to the enemy who's coming against us? Are we going to wait for the Lord to speak to us and then move? When David was confronted with fear, he responded differently. Now, how do we overcome fear? I'm going to have three points. Go back to Philippians 4, verse 6. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because God is working for us. So first point, understand that God is for you. He is not against you. God is for you. In every situation, and this, the only question you have to answer is, have I surrendered completely to the Lord? 
And trust me, there, there are different areas of our life where we learn to surrender. But you just ask that question, Lord, have I surrendered my problems to you today? Have I, have I said, you know what, I don't, I'm going to take it out of my hands and I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to trust that you're in control. Have you done that today? If you've done that, then you can know God is working for you. Number two, tell God how you feel. So number one, understand that God is for you, not against you. Number two, tell God how you feel. Look at the uh, second part of verse six. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. What does supplication mean? It means the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. How many of you know that you can ask God for something? You can, it actually says beg. And we're not beggars because we're sons and we're daughters. How many of your kids, well, they beg you, right? They still, they still beg you. Um, but they're not begging in the sense that you're going gonna to forsake them. They're just, asking, they're just asking for you to do something. How many of you know that you can come before God, before someone, and say, God, I need this. I, I have this request. I trust that you're going to work things out for for my good, but I'm asking you for this. How many of you know you can ask God for these things? It says, but in everything, don't be anxious, don't be fearful, don't worry, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And how do we ask him? We just don't ask him um, because, we just don't ask him for something, but we also thank him in advance. It says, with thanksgiving and everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. God will never, and, and parents, you should never give anything to their, your children if they're not thankful. This past year, I've been around a lot of parents who rewarded their child's unthankfulness. And you're only, you're only, you're, what you're saying is that they don't, they don't have to be grateful for the things they have. And if you've lived long enough in life, if you're not grateful for Many of us have been in marriages where one spouse or the other wasn't great from what happened. The marriage split. God will not bless somebody who is not thankful. The Bible says, actually, enter his gates with thanksgiving. This in his course with praise. Praise is another way of expressing thanksgiving. Did you know that God says, I will make my throne where there is praise? I will make my throne where there is thanksgiving. So we, at, we give our petitions with thanksgiving. And then verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Last point, don't speak or act until the fear is gone and God's peace arrives. Don't speak or act until the fear is gone and God's peace arrives. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. This is, I've gone to this verse many times. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind has stayed on you. I'm like, Lord, I am going through it right now. I feel like the water is about to sweep me away. About to, I feel like I'm about to be burned up in this situation, Father. I'm going to set my mind on you. Because your word promises that if I set my mind on you, you will keep me in perfect peace. God never moves in fear. When we feel fear, we need to stop everything we're doing and focus on him. And this is the, this is, this is the time. We're in the middle of a very, a, could be a very fearful situation with our economy, with, with, with this health crisis right now. 
We need to say, Lord, we're not going to respond to what's happening around us, but we're going to trust that you're in control. Step one, don't be anxious. Understand God is for you. Number two, tell God how you feel. Tell him, God, I'm fearful. I don't want to be fearful. I feel this way, but help me to trust you. And lastly, once we do those things, we can wait for God's peace to come. Once God's peace comes, then we act. This past weekend, I went skiing, and um, I uh, had a really good time up until the, next, the second day I was skiing. And I, um, I'd never skied before, and I'd snowboarded, and snowboarding was really hard. And so I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ski this time. And so uh, we get there Saturday, I'm skiing, and I'm, I'm doing the pizza. How many of you know the, the pizza move? By the next day, I was actually skiing like a real person. Not, not, that you're, if you're not, a real, not that you're not a real person if you ski the other way. But um, I felt like I was getting it. And so I was starting to go down blues, which is crazy. Don't do that if it's your second day skiing. And so I'm skiing, I'm skiing. Well, we decided to go night skiing. And um, I told my, my friend Matt, I said, like, hey, you're going to go? And I could tell he really wasn't feeling it. I mean, he kind of was, but I don't think everyone else was. And so he's like, okay, I'll go. I was like, I'm going to go without, with or without you. And so... Um, I didn't say it like that, but that's what my heart said. <laughs> like, I'm going to go with or without you. And so we go, and it's beautiful. Like, I love, we went to Keystone. We were at Breckenridge the first day and we went to Keystone that, the next night. It was beautiful. And, um, but it's, it was at night. The sun was going down, and they had lights out. When it's, y'all that are skiers, when, it, when it's dark, you really can't see things, right? And so I was going down this, um, it was like a blue, this blue run, and I... I was going fast, probably faster than I should have, but um, I overcorrected, and I don't know what happened, but I felt my knee buckle, and it felt like my leg snapped in half. It was horrible. I, I heard something pop, and I went down, grabbed my knee, and I realized that, that I had just sustained an injury that I'd had like six, seven years ago, and um, I didn't think anything of it. Um, well, I did for an hour and a half. I called ski patrol. They didn't, I, they didn't come for me. So an hour and a half later, I was stuck on the side of a mountain for an hour and a half. And uh, that's another story, how I got off that mountain. But I, um, <laughs> it was crazy. So um, a friend of mine says, hey, you want to go see a doctor? And I said, well, I guess I, guess I probably should. And um, before, let me, let, me, let me backtrack. Right before I had, uh, had this injury, I had this moment with the Lord and I was going up the ski lift, and I was just so thankful. I'm like, Lord, I'm in Colorado. It's beautiful. This is literally five minutes before this happened. I had this moment, and I was like, Lord, I'm just, I just thank you so much for this trip. And I really had a moment with him. And five minutes later, I'm on the ground. And I'm like, you know, for a split second, I was tempted to say, Lord, what the heck? Like, <laughs> I, I was just praising you and thanking you for this awesome trip, and now I'm on the ground icing my butt, pretty much, um, and, I, um, and I had that thought, but the second thought I had was, I, I, first, I felt like everything was going to be okay, and I felt like the Lord said, I know, I know what you were just telling me, but I put you in the situation to know that you could still praise me, no matter the circumstance, and I know in the past, I would have said, Lord, it ruined my trip. I never get out of town. I'm finally an opportunity to get away, and, I'm, and I just hurt my knee and this and that. But I really feel like the Lord um, 
the Lord said, hey, I'd allow this to happen. I know you love me. I know I didn't cause this to happen because anything you did anything, but I know that you're going to give me the glory through this. And so I must have allowed it to happen. So I went to see a doctor um, Friday, and like I said, I've had this injury before, and um, I kind of walked it off and had, wore a brace. I hadn't, hadn't really had anything happen for four years, and so I went to see this doctor, and he looks at it, and he's moving my knee around, and he says, um, I'm pretty sure that you tore your ACL. And that just, it, it, I, sh- I would have loved to see the look on my face because it just shocked me. I'm like, tore my ACL? And athletes who tear their ACL are out of commission for a long time. You know, I'm an athlete, so I got to have my knee good. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> and so I, I left there, and I was, I was just fear and doubt and hopelessness just began to rise up. And I was like, Lord, really? My ACL? Like, and so I ended up going to a place to pray, and I just broke and I'll share that story later because it's really significant for our church. But um, I went to that place, and as I was praying, we were singing Waymaker. I don't know if y'all saw my Facebook. I posted a song about Waymaker, and that song literally wiped, washed the fear away, washed the doubt away, and the Lord just brought truth to me. And, he, and I feel like the Lord in that moment, as I was kneeling down in that place, I feel like the Lord said, I allowed everything to happen this week to bring you to this moment. And then he said, and then he said, I know, the doc- I know what the doctor said, but what did I tell you at the very beginning? You're going to be okay. And so all that money still to be determined exactly what the doctor is going to say, but it doesn't matter what the doctor says. We walk about what is the Lord saying to us. Maybe I do require surgery. Maybe I do require, you know, these things to happen, but it doesn't matter because I know God loves me. He has my best interest in his heart and I'll always be okay.